human communication playbook. Cockroaches. That's where it all began. There's a bit of a backstory. You have to appreciate why Sean's shaved head mum bursting into a classroom is actually a frightening prospect. Yep, she was the first woman I ever saw with a shaved head. And bear in mind, that might be cool today, but this was the 1970s. And she had the build of a wrestler. Now, Sean's mum wasn't angry with me because Sean no longer believed in Santa. That was a story that was going to get out at some point. But it was a story that made life a lot easier. It may have taken away a little bit of her enjoyment come Christmas Day. Or maybe she was no longer, well, she no longer had the kind of emotional leverage of Santa to get Sean to clean his room. Or maybe it was now that Sean was asking, what else is not true, mum? When Wolfgang von Kempelen debuted the Mechanical Turk, the world's first chess-playing computer 250 years ago in nine, sorry, 1769, the world was spellbound. Presented as a wooden cabinet with a chessboard on top, the Turk wasn't a real automaton, but rather a clever deception. Inside the cabinet sat a curled-up human player with a candle for illumination and a system of mirrors to spy the human moves up on top. With the aid of magnets and levers, the hidden player would, could execute moves like a modern-day robot to the amazement of audiences. The deception today seems laughable. Cute by today's standards, for sure. But 250 days ago, sorry, 250 years ago, many fell under its spell. For 84 years, the Turk toured the world, performing in London, Paris, and New York. It played against and beat the best of us, Napoleon Bonaparte and even Benjamin Franklin, until it was finally outed in a newsletter dispatch in 1859. It's easy to feel these objects are intelligent because it's our natural instinct we tend to anthropomorphize. Our family at home here in Singapore has a robotic vacuum cleaner called Robbie. Many owners too have names for their robots. It's hard not to feel sad the day we found Robbie caught stuck in the shower room and run out of battery because he couldn't get back over the ledge. Before I went to Japan, I spent my days in the university labs building robots like Robbie that scurried around the hallways. My department specialized in evolutionary computing, which hypothesized that human intelligence was different to the animal world, not by being gifted with some kind of meta or divine exceptional cognition, but by being quantitatively more complex. Simple machines with enough computational power could eventually scale up to complex human-like behaviors. By linking the left eye photoreceptor to the right wheel and the right eye to the left wheel, you could actually produce superficially intelligent behavior on Roach. And when you shone a torch at Roach, as it was called, it would turn towards the torch switch over the wires and Roach displayed different behaviors. Now it would actually avoid the light. At a basic level, this is the instinctive behavior of a real cockroach when you walk into a room and you turn the light on and it scurries for cover. Intelligence? Well, Roach appears intelligent, but so does the Turk. 
So does a real cockroach and a cat and shall ice the chatbot and a human being, do they actually have intelligence? They appear intelligence. If you ask them if they were intelligent, you would get different answers. Some would answer yes, some wouldn't be able to understand because they don't speak English, and some would be hiding. So really intelligence has no objective ground zero. According to the Turing test, named after the famous cryptanalyst Alan Turing, an actor is intelligent if we are unable to distinguish its behavior from an equivalent living being. In the Turing test, you sit in a room and you're connected to two remote operators. One is a human and one is a robot. It's the chatbot. It could be Xiao Ice, for example. And if you can't distinguish which was which, then Xiao Ice, the chatbot, would pass the Turing test and be deemed intelligent. This also sets up a rather interesting reverse Turing test, where a, a an individual, a user, communicates with a remote human being and the remote human being has to convince the human operator that he or she is not a robot. The point is that an actor's intelligence can only be measured by how the actor behaves and therefore how we perceive it. There is no ground zero. And the good news is that complex behaviors are in fact easier to produce than you might think. Roach, my roach, not the real cockroach, was a simple circuit board with two receptors and two motors. Now, let's say there are 10 at most 20 connections on that motherboard, analogous to the wiring of our human brains. Imagine now you increased its complexity by a million times. Roach would now be more like a frog. My old professor at university was a world authority on frog intelligence. How anyone could dedicate his life to this level of specificity, I don't know. But if you ever needed someone to design an experiment to test whether a frog would jump or left, or a frog would jump right, or avoid a falling object, he would be your man. Although Professor would disagree, you might argue frogs are pretty basic animals. And while we have advanced significantly in neural connections as human beings over the frog, we are a long way from diagnosing disease-winning go tournaments or breathtaking paintings with AI. But again, it may actually be a problem of quantity and not quality. If Roach operates with 10 connections, the reality is our human brains are 10 billion times more complex. And the more we upscale our connections, the more we are unable to explain its behavior. Roach is simple, a frog-like robot, reasonably so. But once you start venturing into hundreds of millions of connections, the robot starts to display behaviors that exhibit similar meta-qualities to Xiao Ice or AlphaGo. They start to display consciousness or awareness, but nobody ever programmed that into the code. Much of the problem lies rooted in the narrative frameworks we use to guide our understanding of intelligence. In the same way, 500 years ago, many used to believe the sky was actually a physical dome above our heads and the stars were somehow fixed in a cosmic planetarium. 
or like that teacher, the sun revolves around the earth. These narrative frameworks actually change our worlds and how we perceive them. If we believe the sun revolves around the earth and not vice versa, as it actually is, there is no need to explain why a rock hurtling through space at 107,000 kilometers an hour manages to keep everyone on board. But when we change our narrative paradigms, when we accept that the Earth is actually going round the sun at a very fast speed, there needs to now be something that explains why we somehow stay on this rock. And therefore, our narrative frameworks change and we also, in parallel, discover gravity. When we talk about intelligence today, it's like we're talking about the sun revolving around the earth. Humans are conscious in the same way objects simply fell to the ground. It just is. But only when we adapt our narrative frameworks will we have to explain more complex concepts that we have yet to discover. It's like trying to explain gravity to a 14th century peasant. It's the cognitive equivalent. It just happens. And why do I need to explain clarity? Because there's no need for it in my world, or my worldview. And much of our analogous understanding of intelligence and computers is borrowed from a world which existed pre-14th, pre 15th century. And, you know, our understanding of AI today is much more advanced, but we still use frameworks that existed before we even understood what artificial intelligence was. Let me explain a little bit here. If you've ever written code, the first concept you'd understand was the loop. The first ever computer program you've ever written, and everybody's written this, is 10, print, hello, 20, go to 10. That is the best program ever ever. That is what they call a for next or a while loop. And it powers most computer code today, no matter how complex. It's all powered by loops. That concept is actually, believe it or not, inherited from a 17th and 18th century idea. The concept was inherited from the earliest paper cards, the stacks that factory weavers used to program complex patterns into weaving looms. Stack, push, pull. These are familiar concepts to anybody who's dabbled in machine code. When Bill Gates and Paul Allen coded on the University of Washington mainframe machines, long before they wrote the first Windows code, they programmed using paper punch cards. And I'm convinced, actually, that some Windows 10 dialog boxes that pop up on my Surface still use that technology. So my point is that if you look at what powers most of computing today, even Windows, it's actually derived from mechanical looms. And that concept is 300 years old. In the same way, our underlying understanding of intelligence is a belief that human, sorry, a belief that computers and brains operate on a similar structure. It's the if-then logic gates. 
But the reality is, if you poke inside the human brain, it actually doesn't work like a computer at all. The human brain is very different to the structure of a computer. And rather than having millions, billions of zeros and ones, as you'd expect in the modern computer CPU, the brain is, in fact, full of maybes. You see, my professor could emulate the behavior of a frog because it had a rather simplistic brain. And, you know, if a mock fly was positioned in the certain area of the frog's field of view, it was more likely to jump one way or another, depending on the positioning. Now, this would be the equivalent wiring to a, a modern computer. But as the computer becomes thousands or even millions of times more complex, these binary circuits, these zeros and ones, get replaced by distributed cognitive nets that we do not fully understand yet. You see, we're seeing the world of intelligence through our analogy of the computer. That's how we understand it. In the same way we saw the Earth as through the lens of the planetarium. And that's why it's difficult for us to understand this idea of maybes. And we absorb data uh, we wonder if the brain is just far too complex. And in the same way, when we try to understand space and astronomy, we think of it as somehow mystical. Now, this would argue that somehow AI could, uh, you know, it could master a specific narrowband tasks like playing chess or jumping left or right. Or, but, you know, if you try to get AI to master what they call artificial and general intelligence, which is very broad, for example, determining the diagnosis on a patient or determining the best strategy moving forward. They would say that using the lens of understanding on through our current narrative on computers, the zeros and ones, it's the, the space planetarium view of the universe. They would say it's far too mystical. It's far too complex. And therefore, we cannot replicate this fuzzy logic. And therefore, importantly, AI can never replace humans. I'd like to offer a different view. Sure, AI will replace humans, but not in the way that most people think. Our intelligence is far more complex than our existing models allow us to understand, but that actually means that AI will help us understand it. The more computational power we enjoy, the more complex AI models become. The more we may learn that moving from chess to complex decision-making isn't a qualitative step change that requires some kind of new approach or newer technology, but rather a quantitative one, meaning an issue of scale. The illusion will be like the mechanical Turk. Today, it appears cute and naive that people fell for this deception. And in years to come, with a better understanding of intelligence, we may also think it is cute that our forebears thought machines could not be intelligent. Except for Sean's mum, that is. She will get angry because it makes life difficult. It's easier to keep the charade going. It raises too many difficult questions.